Hello and welcome to this podcast about participatory art practices and failure. My name is Tandy McLeod. And my name is Ewald Dehoer. Today we'll be talking with Frédéric Lecomte and Pony Morel. In the beginning, I was looking for a methodology that, uh, which can escape this kind of uh, obstacle. And then finally, I found it. Um, well, it works because I can work everywhere, even if I don't have, I need actors, that people, actors, that's all. So for you, failure was really a starting point instead of yes, people of course, and endpoints. Of course, of course. Yeah. Definitely. It reminds me of the, of, I mean, in, in many ways, visual arts is like that too. Like the idea of giving yourself obstacles, which a lot of people find really abhorrent at the beginning, but it's so much easier than a blank slate. Like the second you give yourself something to overcome and some kind of periphery to jump over, you, your brain starts to work. And that, that can be very freeing. the situation we face now, and I face now, uh, because it makes me very nervous uh, to find a different fa- uh, way to find solution, making make theater in this kind of uh, uh, confinement. Mm. And it excites me a lot. <laughs> That's great. I have seen that. I've seen that with you. I'm, I'm, I can see that you're really excited about it. When you stop at the window and you send some ideas about... I wake up during the night. I say, oh, I have to... Oh, an idea, an idea. <laughs> so good. Very funny. <laughs> I think that there's a lot, a, a lot of artists that are feeling kind of inert right now. So I'm really happy that you're, that you're feeling a big burst of energy. Um, right on your coattails. It might have something to do with the fact that you make uh, theater in conflict zones, and you uh, maybe <laughs> maybe maybe you have the experience of doing that. Do you? Um, is there is there a, a different way we frame uh, personal failure than than? Um, professional failure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the potential hazards that are going to come from a professional failure are not the same as the potential hazards that are going to come from a disastrous marriage, a very bad investment. Uh, you know, if you you, I think they, I think the roots of the psychology of how one reacts to them are the same. They're they're rooted in the things that you worry about and the standards you set yourself, but. I mean, my worst m- moments or my my, my biggest um, errors of judgment have all been in the personal sphere. Uh, I don't know whether they, uh, only, only I think because they, they have a different impact. I mean, the worst thing that's gonna happen if I completely screw up a show is that the show's not very good. And even then, you know, there's always a way out of uh, a failure of, Quite often, the problems that we end up with in in, um, in rehearsal are, prob- are, are, are failure of communication or uh, failure of measuring what your ambition is against the reality of the room that you're in. You know, the, the biggest temptation, I think, when you're re- rehearsing or directing a play is that you want the room or you want the thing to go in a certain way. 
and you ignore the fact that the room just isn't doing that and you're going to have to put yourself into the room that you're in not try and turn the room into a situation that you want now that's basically the same as going out with the wrong person i could think of two marriages at least both mine certainly where that mistake has been there you know you want this person to be a different person from who they are so you stop communicating effectively and so you end it you know so i think that, that like i say the psychology is sort of the same but mm -hmm. i've certainly lost a lot less money through producing <laughs> bad theatre than i have through marrying the wrong person or making a very very dumb investment this one time which i'm absolutely not going to tell you what it was <laughs> But is there, is there somehow a, a firewall we keep in place between the personal and the professional? Like, or, or is it communicating secretly? Well, it's not a good, if there is a firewall, it's not a good thing. Because nobody goes to the theatre to see what uh, the actors want to present. Everybody goes to the theatre to see the truth. Yeah. And all of us, whether we're actors, directors, professionals or not, have an idea of what we think the truth is. And then there's the truth that other people see that we're not able to hide. And that's where the thing gets interesting. You know, that's what we really go because we want to see that vulnerability. We want to be reminded that we're all like that. We, I mean, these are our conscious processes. They're just the kind of work that's interesting is where you get a feeling that perhaps the thing we're seeing is not the thing. The thing that we in the room are seeing isn't necessarily what everybody in the room meant to put in there, but it nevertheless exists. That's the kind of stuff, you know, that's the kind of thing which in art gets exciting and gets us all excited. But I think... Um, I think it's a skill that you maybe get better at over the course of time, or if you decide to invest in it, it's just to figure out what those moments are, or what the signals are, or what the, yeah, the smoke signals for the way to follow what's more likely to be truthful in life or in art. Never use the vulnerability of the or the failure of the people in your own interests. Never making theater with the vulnerability of the people to make good theater and to give emotion to the to to the, the audience. And uh, if there is vulnerability, a failure on stage is only to to make the people. Uh, uh, shining and not the play director shining if it happens is a big failure <laughs> that's great i love that you said that i completely yeah. agree does your does your cultural background define um uh, a failure or how you deal with failure in a in a specific way like is that a struggle that has a lot of impact I don't. I don't know that the. I don't know that the um, that the the the, the woven the woven map between your cultural influence, your parents' influence, your personal influence, your inherent personal. I don't know that it's any different when it comes to failure than it is when it comes to something else. I mean, obviously, it's the case that you can arrange society in such a way that it accepts is more accepting of apparent failure. Uh, you can arrange society in such a way that it doesn't. Um, allow failure to exist because nothing is considered to be failure or you can punish people for uh, not fitting in with uh, a norm but i and i and obviously the, the, the society we live in has an effect on how we uh, react but it's more practical i think than abstract it's more to mm -hmm. do with if you're told you're a failure for long enough you have two choices 
you can either uh, be one and become more of one or you can fight it. And, you know, in sport, for example, we, we, we see so many examples of sports people really at the top of what they do. I'm thinking about Michael Jordan, for example, in, in basketball, who puts, attributes a huge amount of his success to the fact that he was competitive and his brother used to tell him he couldn't do things. Now, a different person, a different brother in that same family might, might absolutely, you might have never de de find out what their talents are if that's what they were told at a young age. So I think it's not so much cultural. I mean, I don't think it's exclusively cultural, but I think it's like with everything, it's a it's a complicated mixture that we spend all our lives trying to understand mm -hmm. about ourselves, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There are <clears throat> different kind of personality who face differently the failure, because everybody, of course, we are construct on failure. We can escape, we can hide, uh, we can face, we can fight. Uh, we can uh, take drugs or we can, there are a lot of way to, to try to manage with the failure. And uh, the way you manage the failure uh, builds your personality. Yeah, it's interesting. Like my parents, for example, my, my father was a man who just didn't seem to have a concept of failure. Things, things could just go wrong for that man on and on and on. And he never really considered that any of it was a failure. My mother, on the other hand, who uh, is almost the opposite. She's incredibly good at things. She can do most things very well. Absolutely convinced that she's a failure. So you think, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of luck of the draw. And I always really feel for, I feel very envious of people who, um, who seem to not have got the memo <laughs> of self-doubt, you know, because that has a huge effect on in the subject of, on the conversation of failure. I mean, I, I did get that memo, um, but I know people who didn't. And I think, gosh, I wish I was like that. I think there is a nice moment in rehearsal happens sometimes where I've seen that moment of something going wrong and then something great coming out of it more in rehearsal than in the actual show. Exactly, mm -hmm. yeah. Sometimes when you're working, it just goes tits up the whole thing. And then if everybody's focused on that in a way that everybody finds it exciting and doesn't just stop, you can use that as a really fun energy to keep yeah. moving. Yeah. But that involves having, you know, that, that that's when you have a really great group that, yeah. or a really great group moment it can happen with any group that for that one time you can just keep the ball of possibility in the air and that is that is exciting if i if i could like uh, imagine a, a a job for my my ideal kind of profession it would be to just be witness for rehearsals of other people where everything goes wrong and i'm totally exhilarated you should Strangely come sit in my rehearsal room anytime because that happens 95% <laughs> of it's always great just the just the moment be before the wheels come off because you never really know what what's going to happen and then the wheels come off and suddenly you think like this might be it this might totally be brilliant well this is sort of where we start isn't it because this is about control and expectation and freedom because exactly in those american films when it's christmas and the show goes wrong with the school What's funny about it is usually one of the parents can't cope that something's gone wrong and thinks that the whole, you know, your child has ruined the show and other people can laugh with it. And 
there's something cruel in that way. People react differently to it. It's easy to laugh at people who want to keep control. But I think it's, I think Friedrich is rare among people in theatre that she's free from a controlling desire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think most of us, yeah, I do. I think you don't have it so much. But I, I, think most, I think a lot I, of us I already, are, are yeah, very much hostage to it. I have uh, two anecdotes. Uh, I, we were uh, um, performing Le Grand Sextacle and uh, in a squat, and uh, there is no uh, some um, one moment no lights at all. And the Christine, my friend, and another actor continue to perform, and it was really funny. And also with Vitacio, we have also no electricity in uh, Antigone three times, and the show go, goes on. It was, okay. it was a good a good news finally because it was like in Africa. <laughs> <laughs> I've had um I've had a couple of fire alarms go off during performances. And that's always quite an interesting moment because we then have to deal with how we're all going to come deal with the fact that we're at an illusion. You know, because we set up this common agreement that we're going to agree that something is true and then the fire alarm goes off and you 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 have to then, I once saw a great and astonishingly good T.G. Stan performance of After the Rehearsal. I saw it in Stockholm. The show was just exceptional. And then the fire alarm went off. And of course, their work is already built on um, removing these layers of illusion. And so to then have an extra one was just amazing. And then everybody stood outside and had a cigarette and then everybody went back in and we had to carry on from this important moment in the show. Not we, they had to carry on. We were just the audience. But I found it really it, it, in a way, sometimes those interruptions bring an extra frisson in the theatre, don't they? They sort of unite the room even more. And I think often in our work, before we have those moments, we're trying to seek those moments of drama definitely happening. You know, mm -hmm. there's definitely drama happening if the fire alarm goes off. Whether there's drama happening in Act 3, Scene 4 of the play we're doing is a separate question. We want to have it. Um, actually, I do have one example. I did a show in the States. I took a show... I made a show in Flint, Michigan during the water crisis there a few years ago. And we performed it with professional actors, well, a mixture of professional and community actors, but we performed it for free at a community center. And on the last night or the middle night, it rained so hard on the metal roof of the gym that you couldn't hear a word anybody was saying. And that was one of those moments where everybody just decided to go with it, not pretend it wasn't happening, but use it to our advantage and play with it. And that was, uh, that was one of the moments I felt most excited, I think. Then, really in a way, good. failure and accident are very good news. Yeah. All yeah. the time. All the time. You remember all the time what happens during those failures. You remember when there was no more electricity. You remember the fire. You remember... Uh, I remember also uh, um, an orage, uh, a storm during a performance in Avignon. It was like magical. Mm -hmm. Then I remember those failures. It was, and it's a precious moment because it's not planned. And then it's real. The reality, the time of the reality and the time of fiction are close and then what happens is um, like a miracle. It's synchronicity. Yeah, I know, I agree. And finding synchronicity inside a performance for me is a big, the, the, the thing I, I, I want to, 
to reach. Yeah, yeah, I know. So that's yeah. why I like failure. <laughs> it helps you get there faster. <laughs> The vulnerability is either present or not present before the successful moment or the fail, failed moment happens. Mm -hmm. It doesn't follow. The, the, the vulnerability is always present. Then you can have moments that can expose that or make it easier to trade on that and use that and harness it. Or you can have moments where it, that's just not relevant and it remains hidden. So I, think, I don't think it's the case that failure leads to greater vulnerability. I think that vulnerability is a constant. Mm -hmm. And then circumstance takes place. And then depending on the collection of people you have around you, it will go in one direction or another or something else will happen. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I think that it's, it's a bit too simple to say failure is a good thing. I mean, yeah, failure is a good thing when it is. When it isn't, it really isn't. It's also crap. <laughs> it's also crap. Um, today, we kind of... Um, Participation, uh, participatory um, practices today are, are kind of suddenly everywhere. Like uh, internationally, there there's talk about like a participatory turn in the arts. Um, participate participation is uh, uh, is now a function in the Flemish art degree. Organizations are pushing it forward as a, a strategy for art education and, and creating a dialogue with the public. Administrations look at it as a way to reinforce integration, to fight poverty, to emancipate citizens, all of those things. Like, what do you think of those claims? Right? No. Um. I think lots and lots of things mm -hmm. about it. Um, I, I I think that the quality of what we do, whether it's participatory or not, is usually uh, born somewhere, or the seed of it is somewhere in the intention behind what we do. So I think um, I, I don't have an opinion on whether increased participation is essentially a good thing or a bad thing. It's both. It's a good thing when uh, it releases uh, something creative, artistic, universal um, among participants, audience, among everybody. It, it isn't uh, when it's used as uh, shorthand for not doing the actual job of fiction that we are involved in. So, you know, the trend towards participatory work as being somehow more honest than a, a, a work of fiction or a play, I think is false. Because the nature of truth in fiction is different than the nature of truth in autobiography. Um, I, I think it's not, a, I, 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 I don't think, I think sometimes it is claimed, and this is really about authenticity. Sometimes it's claimed that participatory work is more authentic than non-participatory work. Or, that a non-professional actor is going to give a more authentic performance than a professional actor. And I don't think that is a helpful way of looking at it. Um, at the same time, I think it raises big questions about what our role is uh, 
in society, I think the relationship between art and society is complicated. You can't reduce it to art is necessarily political. Or, I mean, or, I mean you, can, you can reduce anything any way you want, but I think the idea that there's a better way, I think the idea that more social engagement is better than less social engagement is often true, but not necessarily true. So I think what happens quite a lot in the discussion around participatory work is uh, look, society has lots and lots of failings. So does theatre. Theatre's failings reflect society's failings. They're not particular to theatre. I mean, in detail they may be, but in principle, in essence, um, these things are connected. So you can understand that if what you want is a piece of theatre that really engages with people, there's a desire that it should somehow have a relevance in their lives. But the trouble is these relationships aren't measurable like that. We can't sit around measuring what the effect of doing this project is on people's lives or on society. It doesn't work. And there's a tendency lately, in, in especially in the UK, of trying to find ways of justifying what we do artistically by applying rules that apply to other sorts of things like, you know, if you do this play about homelessness, does it have a direct effect on either how homelessness, how homeless people see themselves or on homeless figures in society or how, about how, how society deals with it? So it's incredibly, your question has about 16 subgroups to it, yeah. all of which I'm completely interested in. But I think what, what I regret is that quite often uh, the prevailing sort of, uh, the prevailing group thing, I would call it, I'm afraid, is that um, participa participation is always good. It, it, nothing worth doing is always good. It doesn't work like that. Does that make sense? It yes, makes you. total sense. Like it, uh, I, I, uh, Frédéric? It's complicated. Um, um, making theater with uh, participatory theater it's it it it, it uh, oh merde ça existe depuis it exists till uh, the beginning of the the humanity but now uh, putting um, participatory theater inside the mainstream theater it's a political uh, point of view Yes, so, uh, it's try to reinvent the theater uh, in a democratic way in the, the place in the the, the 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 agora, but it doesn't work like that. It still exists. Uh, there are a lot of troops doing theater, but it's different between those all those people who are playing, performing in their village or in and and putting this those play aesthetically inside the mainstream theater it's very different it's like it stinks a little bit <laughs> Sometimes. well it brings us back to the thing you said which is about who's who are we doing it for mm -hmm. mm. You know, and what are the motives to do this? Like, well, look, we can all make a long list of theatres who who we don't trust in their participation projects because we mm -hmm. feel in our gut, we can't prove it, but we can feel that they're there because they need to fill in the participatory section on the dossier. Mm -hmm. And then there are other theatres where we where we completely believe in it. 
it, it's essentially the same as going to any other non-participatory player, whether you believe in it or you don't. You know, I think claims are often made for, but I think Frederick's completely right. Claims are often made about things for political reasons that don't actually have anything to do with the activity itself. Mm -hmm. For example, now there is a lot of money uh, making it for social cohesion and okay, it's political, but also it's also a question of money. Artists has to live, to eat, to to perform, but also they, they need money to to create. And this is the way also to get money, much more than in creative uh, cultural uh, mainstream theater. More. Is there, is there anything like, because the context has changed like over the past five to 10 years, let's say, um, is there is there any benefit? Because I think a lot of people started doing this not because it suddenly was participatory or not. It was simply what they needed to do. But now that there is there is a different political context, if you want, like what are the what are the consequences of that? Like good or bad? Like could we? In, in some question, like in, in some ways, is this is this kind of a hype that's going to blow over, um, or 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 could this, in some kind of way, for the whole world of the arts, be a little bit of a revolution that's only starting? Well, I, kind of I mean, I think claims a revolution or it's a bit premature. Um, <laughs> I think, <laughs> I, I, I look, I think I think one very obvious consequence of the change in uh, focus onto participatory work. Um, is that quite frequently the people who've been doing it for Friedrich is right. People have been doing this since the beginning of time. In our uh, 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 career memory, let's say over the last 20, 30 years, there have been people doing it really, really well for a really long time. The increased focus and interest in it seems to me um, to have resulted mostly in people reinventing the wheel and getting other people who aren't so good at it to also do it instead of going back to those people who've been doing it for ages and know what they're doing. Know what they're doing, you take that with a pinch of salt because we have to assume that when we're doing anything creative, we don't know what we're doing. But uh, it is, it's disappointing, it, it, it's trendy. And when things get trendy, uh, people stop interrogating them properly. Mm -hmm. And that's annoying yeah. because it means that whatever revolution would have been happening, whether we wanted, if we wanted one, if we didn't, whatever. But it means that whatever that one is, is going to be a less good one than the one we would have got if we'd actually thought about it properly. And that happens a lot, I think. So I'm disappointed sometimes by this sort of tendency that things becoming popular frequently make them less good. And that's a shame, or make them less thorough, or make them less thought through. Having said that, um, everyone's allowed to try and discover something for the first time. So who am I to say who should be doing it and who shouldn't? Mm. You know? Um, but do I think we're heading in the direction of a social, of, of a cultural revolution where, um, where we, I don't know, I hope not. And I hope not, not because I wouldn't like society to be completely different, but because I think it's a very bad, we, history has told us that when we stick our politics into our art and do things with it, very little good news comes of that. You know, we, we're not sure of movements in history, big ones where we've tried to use art as a way of, uh, uh, as a way of uh, uh, articulating or pushing forward a political agenda. 
just because it's our political agenda at the moment, if we think it is, doesn't make the principle of doing it a better idea. I'm, I'm, I'm wary of it. Yeah. A more lighthearted question. If, if, if failure could be a party, how, could, how would that party look like? Well, nobody would turn up, presumably. <laughs> <laughs> a swimming pool without water? It would look like one of your shows. Um, a Christmas tree with a cat. A party with failure. Okay, go on. Uh, an atomic bomb uh, during a, a performance. Oh. <laughs> um, a, a general contamination inside a theater. Well, that's coming. Yeah, that's coming anyway. Perfect. Great. Um, <laughs> any other fantasies? I think we should put a stop to this as soon as possible. She's gone mad. <laughs> Unfortunately, we have to stop here. Um, I think it's just as well. We just don't have enough time to talk about all those ideas. Uh, thanks a lot to uh, Pony Morel and uh, Frédéric Lecomte. Uh, this podcast is part of three of a three-year-long trajectory from Rest for the Wicked with support of the Flemish government and in collaboration with Demos Art Center uh, and the University of Ghent Research Group Culture and Education. Thank you for listening. Take care of yourself and take care of the people around. Bye-bye.